Good evening, everybody. Thanks so much for coming tonight. Really appreciate you joining us for our fourth and final Sunday night seminar of the year. I don't have any prizes or anything, but just for interest's sake, is there anybody in the room who has been to all four seminars? One, two, three. Jordan's been in that exact spot four times now, or Mike. Thank you very much. That's awesome. That's great. And I'm also encouraged that it's rounded enough that we're getting some different folks to different things. That's fantastic. It feels like as good an evening as ever, um, because we're talking about truth and reconciliation tonight, to begin with a land acknowledgement. So that's what I'm going to do. I'd like to say this. We are honored to minister on the ancestral and unceded homelands of the Stolo people. Stolo means the people of the river. And they have occupied these lands as first peoples placed here by God. We want to acknowledge the land on which we work, live, and play to the glory of God as an act of respect and one small step on the path toward reconciliation. Let me open in a word of prayer. Jesus, I thank you so much for your grace to us. I thank you, Lord, as I think about these words of truth and reconciliation that at the very bottom, Lord, they find their fullest meaning and fullest depth in you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us more of what that means. God, I pray that your spirit would be among us. I pray that you would give us a spirit of gentleness, kindness, a posture of learner, student, disciple. And I pray for those we're going to hear from in a little while as well. Uh, that your spirit would guide them, and that we would hear their stories and, and learn much. So we ask that you would work in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, as I just prayed, um, I want to invite you all to a learning posture this evening, that we would all come as students with, a, with, a, with a, a posture to us that says, I have something that I can probably learn tonight. There are some things that I can discover that I might not have heard before or an angle that I haven't um, thought about before, and, and so perhaps there is something for me to discover. I'd also encourage this evening a loving posture. Jesus is love, and we want to follow in his footsteps and just, just embody that this evening. I'm just facilitating tonight. I'm simply a pastor in this community. I am not an expert at whatsoever on these issues. So I'm facilitate, facilitating, and I'm going to hand off the mic real quick multiple times this evening um, because I, I merely am a pastor in this community who loves this community, but I too want to learn alongside uh, everyone else tonight. Uh, three, three words that, that come to mind as we get started uh, really uh, are these. Um, the first thing I would want to say is just around the idea of, of human dignity. This idea that, that all people are created in the image of God. So we're going to have a lot of table discussion tonight, and I just want you to keep that thread with you throughout this evening. Everyone made in the image of God. And so we'll even allow our language as we talk about complex and even sometimes um, loaded conversations. Um, this idea of, of human dignity, the dignity of all people, and um, that opportunity to discover more. And so just even in our speech, uh, we want to be loving and careful. Second, um, just the idea of love of neighbor. I just think of Jesus, right, and, and his ministry. 
And him answering back to the person who asked, the greatest commandment, he's like, love God and love neighbor. And that's our desire as followers of Jesus here in the Eastern Fraser Valley is to be good neighbors. And so my hope is that, that we can learn something about that this evening. We want to be, as followers of Jesus, a blessing to every neighborhood that we have a campus in. And so um, in Chilliwack, for example, um, nearly 10% of Chilliwack uh, is an indige uh, indigenous part of our population. In the community of Agassiz, where we have a campus, it's roughly 25% uh, indigenous First Nations. And then in Lake Iroc, where we planted last Easter, um, nearly 50% of that area is First Nations. And so that really helps us frame this idea of love of neighbor. Uh, we want to learn how to do that well um, across cultures and histories and uh, with people we're familiar with and, and stories we might not be as familiar with. The third word, human dignity, love of neighbor, the third word that comes to mind is the idea of the Great Commission. This really is the modus operandi for followers of Jesus. We want others to know Jesus. We want to go and tell. We want to make disciples and teach them everything that the Lord has commanded. It's particularly a challenging feat, though, um, when it comes to um, um, Caucasians or settlers um, trying to share the gospel with our First Nations neighbors. Uh, particularly challenging because of history, um, recognizing um, the role the land has played and the, the challenge it's been in who possesses that land and, and, um, and some of the turmoil that has ensued around that. The Great Commission gets particularly challenging because of the history in our nation of residential schools. And it's because the church had a hand historically in running residential schools across our nation, the idea of the Great Commission or the idea of Jesus um, obviously is framed uh, in a challenging way around that. So, so what I recognize when it comes to, yes, we want to be people who are about the Great Commission, I, I understand that there is uh, work to be done to earn trust, favor, and to contribute to reconciliation. See, our goal is to connect Jesus not with the taking of land, not connect Jesus with residential schools, and certainly not connect Jesus to any form of racism, but our goal is to connect Jesus with attributes of humility and love and grace and truth and the best sorts of neighbors. And so, um, those are just a few opening comments. Here's how the evening's going to go. We're going to put up a slide in a moment of all the homework that you all obviously did, right? All right. And, uh, and what we want to do is just get you spending about 10 minutes or so. Um, we'll put it all up on the screen just as a reminder of uh, what we asked you to do. Uh, and uh, just get you sharing um, something you learned. Uh, something that was thought-provoking, something that challenged you, uh, something that was interesting, whatever stands out that you think is worth sharing, bounce those ideas around. Um, essentially, share about your homework with each other. I think it can make for some really interesting dialogue. We'll do that for about 10 minutes. After that, we're going to have John Johnstone, who's here uh, this evening, share 
some of his story. After that, we're going to have my sister, Jenny Schantz. We like to keep it in the family, so I've got my sister here sharing uh, some of her experience as well. And then we're going to have a video of a friend of ours named Derek, who's a pastor in northern Ontario, share a little bit about his experience planting in some First Nations communities. So that's how the evening's going to go. So why don't you turn to your new best friends and uh, spend the next 10 minutes uh, talking humbly and uh, thoughtfully about some of the things you learned in your homework. In case you didn't know, uh, John's on our staff one-third time. Him and Chris Battle hang out in Lake Iraq, and, uh, and uh, John's making inroads there in a couple of the reserves, building friendships, building bridges, and we're just really, really thankful to, yeah, do this together. And uh, just think it's a really neat picture when a place like Lake Iraq is nearly 50% uh, indigenous and... Uh, Chris Battle, our campus pastor there, and John are kind of working uh, in tandem a little bit. Chris, I mean, yeah, he's, <laughs> it is really cool. And so uh, just a really neat picture of, of actually what we dream the church itself could be. Um, brothers in Christ uh, from, from both backgrounds being able to, uh, uh, to be a part of a Jesus community together is a beautiful thing. So I'm not even going to tell people what I asked you to share about. I'm just going to hand you the mic and, and let you go for it and share what's on your heart. Sound good? But would you welcome John? Um, it was really good to hear the uh, acknowledgement of uh, where the land is that we are on. Uh, it's an awesome, awesome thing to hear. Uh, and it's uh, totally... Um, you hear that at schools. I don't know about that often at churches, but uh, you hear it at schools. And uh, I think there, it would be good if there was a little bit more teaching that went with it. Otherwise, you kind of begin to wonder, really, what is it that we're doing? Uh, so, but it is good that we are doing that. That is a step in a direction. Uh, the other thing that I think is really important is, uh, and, and this could be like, the whole night teaching on this almost, is uh, being welcomed, being welcomed to the land. So uh, acknowledging the land is, is uh, definitely one thing, but being welcomed to the land is totally another, another uh, separate deal. And uh, so I will, uh, is there anyone else that is from the Stolo Nation here tonight? That's funny, because I didn't think so. And at the last church that I asked that at, and I was totally expecting nobody to put their hand up, and two people put their hand up, and I was like, oh, and it was my children. <laughs> <laughs> so I should have had them come up and stand with me as I welcomed the people to the land. Uh, hugely important. Uh, great big spiritual deal to be welcomed to the land. And when we miss it, and we have for... Uh, years, maybe 450. When we miss it, it has a, it has a big deal. Um, also part of the 60 scoop. So when I share with you and I welcome to you to the land and I use the language of the land, it's an uh, important and a powerful thing. And uh, to be able to try and share some of that with you and speak in the language is uh, quite a deal because the language was uh, stolen. Uh, sometimes people say that uh, we had lost our language. 
But for me, you can lose your keys. You might lose the remote to your TV, but you don't lose your language. That's something that gets stolen. Uh, so that's a, that's a difficult thing too. But uh, yeah, I want to welcome you to the land. So I will say, Asiem, Asiem Itanasieya, Itsapu Aliyal, Antha Chan, Tanitsan Ak Lik Amel, Mitsap Kutwilam Tana Tamuch, Haha Tamuch, Hilak Tanish Kualawan, Kutsits Kutsnala, Tanaweo, Haitsapka. So I said, uh, hello, my friends. My name is John. I am from Lake Amel. Uh, welcome to the land, to the sacred land. This is the, the land that God has created. Uh, so there's a clue to who owns it. God has created the land. He owns it. Uh, welcome to the land, and because God created it, it's sacred. Welcome to the sacred land. Uh, my heart is full of joy to be here. And uh, thank you all. Um, like I said, uh, I am part of the 60 Scoop. Uh, when I was born on Vancouver Island in the Duncan Hospital, uh, the nuns came to the room three times and asked my mom to sign the papers. And uh, she said no. So they took me anyways. And I was fostered for two years, and then I was adopted into a uh, white family and a white community. And I grew up uh, in that white family and a white community with tremendous white privilege for a very long time, well, till this day. And uh, I experienced uh, a lot of privilege because of that, uh, because of who my mom was. She became a very successful uh, business lady, and it uh, allowed a lot of privilege, even to the point where uh, when I was young and foolish and getting in trouble and getting in trouble with the law, it didn't worry me too much because I knew that my mom's lawyers were uh, big enough to almost be beyond the law. So I understood uh, privilege. Um, par being part of the 60 Scoop means that I, know, I knew nothing of uh, who I am uh, culturally or my heritage or uh, any of my blood family. Uh, it wasn't until probably 13 years ago that I finally found my, uh, my mom. And that was quite a journey, uh, lots of difficultness in that. I uh, found my mom, and just as I got to meet her, she was on the beginning uh, journey of her dementia. And uh, part of the 60 scoop uh, also means that uh, I would love to stand up here and drum you a song. Uh, but it's... My brother calls us Apple Indians. We're red on the outside, white on the inside. So I don't carry a drum. I don't know the songs. But I have been able to sit in on some of that stuff in the last little while. 
And uh, I have been able to start to learn my culture. And it's a beautiful thing. First Nation people are created in the image of God and his likeness. Uh, what being a 60 scoop person uh, has helped me to become and be is someone who is able to kind of understand both sides of the fence, so to speak. Uh, both sides of the wall, and I would even say both sides of the walls, because there's two walls that have been created as I have uh, become to understand them and learn them and, and know them. And one wall is uh, a wall that the First Nation people have built. And I see this when I go into the communities and I try and share uh, and ask them to come to church. There's definitely a wall that they have created. And uh, there's also a wall that the church has created. The church has created a wall, and a lot of the church, uh, they want to say that uh, wasn't my denomination. I wasn't there, wasn't part of it, not me, not included. And uh, I don't know what this is all about. I don't understand this. It seems difficult, and I don't even want to understand it. So as being a church member, it's not my thing, and I'm just going to turn my back on it. And when I turn my back on it, what that does creates a wall. So now we have two walls. And with those two walls being created, and we turn our back on it, and we don't really engage, the only person or thing that is winning at that point is the enemy. The enemy is winning. And I don't think that's the way that the Creator wants it. I don't think that that's, that's the way that the Creator wants it to be. He wants us to start to engage. I work for Multiply, and one of the things that Randy Friesen, when uh, I hear him speak or when I watch him on, on YouTube, one of the things I hear him say often is, is that we, we can't just continue to walk in this direction. We need to turn and see what it is that's going on, and once we see it, we need to engage with it. And uh, that's hugely important. I got to share one time at our church, and they asked me to pray for the First Nation people at our church. And, and basically my prayer was, is to stop allowing us to be invisible where we're not seen. I said, we're like the Salvation Army commercial where that young lady and her little girl are standing up against the wall, and they just blend right into it. And everybody just keeps walking by and walking by and walking by like there's nothing wrong. But there they are completely broken. There we are completely broken. It's time to turn and engage. One of the other things that Randy Friesen says often is that it's, uh, he talks about doing things differently. He talks about this guy that climbed the mountain that most people took maybe a day to climb it. Then they got it down to 12 hours, 8 hours. And then finally this one guy, and thinking differently, I don't know what the difference was, but he climbed it in four hours. Incredible. And he always talks about you have to think differently. We've been engaging in First Nation communities for 450 years now. It's time to think differently. 
it's time to begin to understand that the way we have been doing that is not working. And, and I'll just finish kind of with this. Because these are the things that I have seen as being able to be someone who is a 60 scoop has been taken from my culture and put into another culture, allowing me to now see both cultures and allowing me to be able to function in both cultures. So I am like a white person in a white church. I understand that. I know that culture and system. And I'm starting to understand the First Nation culture. And so I'll just finish with saying that I was listening to the Word the other day. I I like to listen to it more than I like to read it because I don't read well. But uh, I was listening to the Word, and it was where Jesus was on the shoreline. And he says, uh, he's on the shoreline, and his friends are out there in a boat. And he looks out to him, and he says, hey, friends, have you any fish? And they say, we've been fishing all day and all night. And, and I would put it into context of our church. And he, they would say, we have been fishing for 450 years and we have no fish in the boat. And then what Jesus says is super important. He says, throw your net on the other side. And so it's in that obedience of hearing what Jesus says, following Jesus, knowing who Jesus is, listening to Jesus, and doing something different, putting the net on the other side of the boat. And the harvest was so big that they needed help to bring it in. But this is where, this is, for this part here, is what I really want the church to hear. What was not said. What Jesus didn't say. Jesus did not say, hey, friends, just keep doing what you've been doing for the last 450 years. Throw your net down on that same side of the boat. Just keep on fishing like you have for 450 years, and I will bring the fish to you. He didn't say that. He said, friends, it's time to do something different. We need to think differently. And turning and engaging is a big part of it. Time to think different. Ooh, I'm three minutes over. Thank you for listening. I was expecting like 15 minutes over. Oh, yeah? Three minutes over? Oh, man. You're a pro, man. Um, John, we just want to say to you, um, yeah, you're saying thanks for listening, but thanks for coming here, being the only one that represents the Stolo people in a room full of us, <laughs> and, uh, and being willing to be vulnerable and to share and, uh, and to help us learn. So thank you so much. We're going to turn to the tables, and we're just going to throw a slide up here. Really simple. What stood out to you? What's something you learned? Maybe you found something convicting. What was that? And do you feel compelled to change anything in your thinking or your actions? So we'll spend about 10 minutes or so. Uh, Thanks to John for uh, just opening up, sharing a little bit of his own story. 
And, uh, and now we get to kind of speak in some of the threads that, that we heard there that we find helpful. So let's turn and do that. I'm going to invite my sister Jen to come on up. I'll let you share about your own context. But yeah, give, my, give Jen a hand. She has to be my sister. So there you go. Let's take it away. Okay, I'll try to keep this to 10 minutes as well. Um, so I have a, a few kind of main points that I just want to um, highlight. And Matt asked me to talk about building relational bridges, which my table was just getting to that point of like, how do we engage? Um, John was, was challenging everyone to turn sideways. And how does that look as, as John calls me a Winnetum, Winnetum, which is a non-native? Um, how did Jesus engage when there were cultural barriers, economic barriers, social barriers? He met them where they were at. Zacchaeus, he went to his house and ate at his house with his friends. The woman at the well, he went and found her at the well. Um, Nicodemus, he met him at night because Nicodemus was most comfortable meeting him at night. We're the ones in power here in our country. We're going to have to be the ones to shift and to find out where they're comfortable. And it might be in their community. It might be in a coffee shop. It might be in their home. And it might actually not be for a year or two. Um, it might be you being friendly month after month after month after month, because there has been a hundred, in Canada, at least 150 years of building distrust, of breaking trust. So what did Jesus do? He crossed those barriers and met them where they were at. Um, in East Van, I remember, so I, I moved into East, I interned in East Van 20, going on 26 years ago. So I've been engaging with indigenous people. Um, they are my friends, they are my family. Um, I have a 15-year-old child who is Blackfoot. Um, and uh, about 20 years ago, I turned up at a, a social housing, a native housing apartment building. Do you all know that there's native housing in our lower mainland? Um, there's actually buildings. Um, I don't know how many in Chilliwack, but I know in Surrey, I know in Vancouver, there's a lot of native housing buildings where the whole apartment building is families, uh, indigenous families. Um, and I turned up one day because I used to direct a youth ministry with an inner city church, and I remember seeing a mom call her children inside because she saw me walk into the courtyard of that building. Um, and I realized the fear that I triggered because of my skin. Um, we had her couple of her daughters in our youth group for many years. About eight years later, her 19-year-old daughter died tragically in a stolen car crash. And by then, the relationship had grown so much that actually Carla, who's here, um, slept in their home the first two nights. And they actually asked our church to do the funeral for that child. Um, in Drift Pile, I taught on reserve for two years. So after doing youth group in East Van, um, watching most of the kids um, 
be weeded out into specialized alternative programs in the school system. Very few graduating. Um, I got my teaching degree and I went out to a Cree community in Northern Alberta for two years, lived on the reserve. Um, literally, there were only about a handful of us white people in the community, maybe less, maybe three. Well, the staff at the school who were in the teacher housing, the fourplex, and I think one other lady who was a teacher that was married to a guy in the community. So yeah, maybe there was about five of us. Anyways, I turn up at the gas station and the, the, they actually, this kid, this 12-year-old kid walks up to me and says, are you the, the new teacher? <laughs> That's how few of us were around. The first year I used to go to community gatherings, I'd go to the round dance, the bingos, the, the, the wakes, the funerals, and I'd turn up at almost everything and they would look at me like I was the strangest person ever and I would sit by myself. I would go to the baseball games and I would go and for a year I went and I sat by myself. But the second year I was there, they would come up to me and they'd say, hey, are you going to be there? Um, September, my second year, um, I had gotten my paycheck. I was heading out to the road. Drift Pile had a number two road going down the middle of the reserve. And there was a blockade. I couldn't take my turn left to get into town. <sighs> Pulled my car over and I got out. One of my students rode up on a bike with another kid beside her and said, Jenny Damien's on the road. There was, uh, you could see an ambulance, you could see police. He was a 10-year-old kid um, that was in our school. And uh, I went up to the, I, I went as far as I could and the first police officer I saw, I said, do you know of any back roads into town? Should I try to drive to the hospital so that when the ambulance gets there, there'd be somebody there to meet him? And he said, you don't, you don't need to bother going, it's, it's too late. And he was dead and you, you could, and the community started flooding to the road. And, and pretty soon there was probably about 50, 60, 70, 80, you know, people gathered on the road. Um, I don't even remember how many, and I just kind of stood um, partially because I was too stunned to know what to do, partially because there were kids hanging out knowing their friend was, um, you know, dead. And, uh, once in a while, they would come over. And I, a few days later, I walked into the school on Monday. So this had been a Friday. I walk into the school on Monday, and one of the band counselors from Chief and Council was walking out of the school, and she passed by me, and she said, Jenny, thank you for all you did on Friday. And I was trying to remember what I did, because I felt like I did nothing. And I, I, I kept racking my brain, what did I do? And I remember all I did was I was the only white person standing on the road with that community while that 10-year-old was lying dead. Um, and sometimes there's these horrible tragedies and just even being willing to stand in the pain. Um, and it takes time, it takes years. But what you all, we also need to remember is there's cultural differences. So if you're somebody who likes people to be on time, who likes people to RSVP for things, who likes to know exactly how many are coming and only those amount of, you know, it's going to look completely different. In Vancouver, <laughs> Carla's laughing her head off already because literally you get invited to a birthday party, a baby shower. I used to think if it was going to start at 12, you turn up at 12. I would turn up at 12. I'd be the only person there. They'd still be waking up. You know, they were going to start cooking two hours later. They're starting to serve, right? 
And I started to program in my head, okay, so I know it's probably not going to start for an hour or two, so if they say it's going to start at 12, I'm going to turn up at 1 or 1.30, and then I'll probably, you know, if I have a couple hours, then I'll be able to eat, you know, half an hour before I leave. And, you know, you start to, um, my staff, um, a lot of them aren't indigenous. And they, you know, we're trying to RSVP for events, and they're getting frazzled because they're five or ten extra people. And I'm like, we're never going to know how many people are coming. We never will know. The people we think are coming aren't going to come, and the th people we didn't think are coming are going to turn up. And somebody's going to suddenly, at the last minute, have a niece or a nephew they babysat last night, or, or something changed, and you just, the food works out. You cook. And if you need to, you go into your cupboard and you find something to add to it. And we've never had a gathering where we didn't have enough to feed people. Um, and it's just a different way. It's the, the value of just relationships. And, and, and yet on the flip side, what I've really loved is there's been times where I've been, been with somebody and they're like, hey, I'm heading over to so-and-so's house for this event. You should come with me. And I'm like, well, do you think they'd mind? You know, and I'm like panicked thinking like, if I were to turn up this, this you know, this, they'd be offended. And, they, and you turn up and, it, and if it was somebody that I'd known for a number of years, all of a sudden you feel like you're the guest of honor. They're just honored like, oh, wow, you came. Oh, I'm so, you know, and they feel like honored that you turned up and wanted to spend this time with them. So there's these beautiful things, but it's like, it's going to be different. Like if, if you like things the way they are, the way that you're comfortable with things being, it will be a challenge. Um, and so I guess um, to, to lean into these relationships, there has to be that openness to adapt and that desire to learn a new way of, of doing things. And, and just, yeah. Um, and I, in 1 Corinthians, there's... Um, 1 Corinthians 9, it says... Paul is saying, and he's, he's in um, Corinth, which was a city known for just um, a lot of wayward, yeah, just, I don't know, it was just like a, a tough city at that time. Um, and he says, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring Christ to those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow Jesus, Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. Um, yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save them. And so there's that idea here, right here in Paul, saying, I adapt. I, I try to get to know the culture of the place I'm in, and then I try to build bridges. Um, and the last thing is be authentic and persevere. Um, so I, I, I couldn't think of another word, but I guess I'm saying don't have pity friendships. Um, and that might sound kind of harsh, but don't just be a friend because you think they need you. Like, it's the right thing to do, so I, I should invite my Native coworker out for coffee and get to know them just because it sounds like that's something I should be doing. Uh, without that intention of that growing and authentic relationship, um, it might, that idea of thinking that we have more to give and they might need a good friend and I will do this out of the goodness of my heart because I, I've come to realize that they, for one thing, I feel they've, they see through that 
and I get told off on a regular basis. I get put in my place um, by the grandmothers, by the moms, and, and, uh, and, just, and also that they have so much to teach us. Um, they have so much to give, and actually I have been so blessed, and in my life, so many of my indigenous friends are my go-to people, are the people when I know I'm going to need some support. They're the people who will be there because they understand pain. They have suffered many of them more than you could ever imagine. And, and so um, November I had surgery. Um, I had an organ removed. Um, and uh, I wasn't breathing very well afterwards. They kept me in the recovery room for 24 hours. And that first night... I had three indigenous friends that came into the recovery room. In the recovery room, you're not even supposed to have more than one visitor at a time. So they were like taking turns. They brought me flowers. They'd written me notes. They each, they sat with me. And they had a relative, a daughter, a niece, an aunt in ICU on life support. And they took the time to come in and spend time with me. And... There are ways, I can guarantee, if you spend five or ten years developing an authentic friendship with an indigenous person in your time of need, they will probably be there for you in more ways than you would ever imagine. And um, I think of Jesus with Nicodemus. Um, you know, I, I, I forget this sometimes, but when Jesus died and all his disciples ran away, and, and he was buried. Um, oh, remind me who, who had the, was it Joseph that had the tomb? Nicodemus came with, uh, with spices. I mean, Jesus made that connection with him in the night, and he, that connection grew to the point that when everyone else fled, um, Nicodemus came back. Um, John, I'm... John, where am I? I, it's just, I wanted to read it because it said how many pounds of spices, and it sounded like a lot. Um, but you can go and look at it when you get home. But, but just that idea that when friendships are built, when you go through the fire to build a friendship, then it's often the most genuine relationship. Um, I just wanted to end with um, a few days ago, one of our, a young gal that I've known for almost 20 years came over to my house. I'd asked her for a couple quotes, little, a little quote for our Friendship Month campaign. And she hand-typed two pages and said, I want to come over and I want to bring this to you in person. I've known her since she was a, ten, a little, maybe nine-year-old daughter, or nine-year-old child, and she's now about... 28 or, or so. And she wrote this story. I'm in a different place now than when I was growing up. I have a lot more courage to speak my truth, even though I know it will make some people uncomfortable. But it's what is needed for me to be able to break cycles and continue my healing journey. Being older and having gone through almost six years of therapy, it puts me in a better position to be able to explain my past. I no longer hold hate in my heart for the people who were supposed to love and care and protect me. I understand now they were doing the best they could with raising us, with all the trauma and pain they were subjected to. 
I understand now that pain travels through families, but this is something I was ready to face head on so I can do my part to end intergenerational trauma, so I could be a better mother to my children, so I could be the mother I so desperately needed growing up. My childhood was full of abuse, neglect, drug addicts, and alcoholics. This type of lifestyle was all I knew. It surrounded me everywhere. It was ugly. I was always made to feel like the black sheep, made to feel like I didn't belong. Matter of fact, not only was I made to feel that way, I was actually told. I would be told on a regular basis that I was not part of the family, that I didn't belong, that I would grow up to be nothing and end up on Maine and Hastings, addicted to drugs like my mom. Can you imagine being five to nine years old and being told that? Being told you'll amount to nothing and end up being a prostitute like your mom. Who says that to a child? I remember wishing my mom would show up and save me, but she never did. I remember thinking that today is the day she's going to come pick me up and take me home to our home, but she never did. On the rare occasion she did show up, she would always smell of alcohol, and I, remember her not re I never remember her staying long. I remember alcohol was a big thing every weekend. I remember drugs being smoked in the house when my aunt was at work. I remember being told to dance on tables with my cousin. I remember being molested in the park by a stranger and the cops being called. And I ended up getting slapped across the face and yelled at because I ruined a smoke session. I remember a lot of things that would probably bring a grown man to tears if I were to sit and spill it all. My childhood was full of sadness and depression. I was suicidal from a very young age. I remember thinking about all the ways to kill myself. I remember my auntie taking me for a walk, trying her best to talk me, to me about suicide. It was uncomfortable for her, for me. I could see she was trying her best to save me, not knowing the tools herself. I seen someone barely floating to stay above water, trying her best to hold me up too. That's the thing now, I don't hold my childhood against no one. I used to. I used to hate my mom, my dad, my aunt, and her boyfriend. I used to hate all those adults who were responsible for protecting me and guiding me. Now I come with love and understanding. I understand that they had a lot to heal from, that they drank and used drugs to run from their childhood. That wasn't going to be a norm I passed down to my children. I don't want them to grow up needing therapy to heal from their childhood. I know here is where it ends. Inner Hope, that's the organization I direct, has been patient with me on my journey with how I connect with being an indigenous mother and Christianity. All my life I was told to hate the white man, don't, don't trust Christians, but I was being sent to church every Sunday. As a kid that was creating a lot of confusion. That was creating confusion with my identity as well, being white and taught to hate the white man. Am I supposed to hate part of myself? being told stories about how Christians are oppressing indigenous people but still having to go to church on Sundays. Inner Hope has been patient with me while I figure it all out. They continue to walk alongside me in this time of confusion. I've had a lot of talks with Jenny about this and she chooses to sit and listen and to respond with love and that is what I need. I need someone to love me in times that are not so lovable. I need patience as I go through these emotions which aren't always pleasant. Every day is a struggle of how I can be an indigenous woman but still connected to a Christian organization. Inner Hope still chooses to stay. They don't abandon me in a time of need. If I can say one thing on how Inner Hope has made a difference in my life, it would be stability. 
mental stability, creating a support system for when I need to reach out, when life isn't going so well. They are always a phone call away. They are always there, ready to give me another perspective on a situation, allowing me to work things out, out loud while they sit and patiently listen. They give a sense of stability and belonging to my kids as well. My kids are always excited to go to the church house and connect with other kids and staff. My kids know they are safe and at home when they are there. They help create yearly traditions, something I never had growing up. My kids are excited when we know we are going to the house. I feel so connected with Jenny. She gives so much of the unconditional mother's love. No matter what stage in life I'm at, I feel like I always have her support. She gives me that guidance when I need it, and that is something I always longed for. And I feel like a part of that has been found in her. I believe she came back into my life when I needed it most. When I was at a turning point in my life of really wanting to make change, she was put in my path. So in her hope now, she's actually volunteering now and running a mom support group. So I, this afternoon, she actually had some moms that were meeting with her at the home. And it's a peer-to-peer -peer relationship where she's using our space to invite other Indigenous moms to just support one another as, as they've all kind of gone through similar traumas. Um, with Inner Hope, allowing me to create a space for mothers shows me that they're really putting in the work of change. This shows me just how committed they are to the families they serve. It shows me that reconciliation can happen, and we are working together to make that happen. There you go. Chances can talk. We can talk. Uh, we had a marriage. That was super helpful, Jen. Thanks so much for sharing, and that letter was powerful. Um, yeah, a few years ago, we, were, we had a marriage retreat at, at Central, and so just uh, the speaker was talking about between couples, um, you know, the, the, the other spouse's ways aren't wrong, they're just different. And I, I think that not wrong, but different is a really helpful way to look at different cultures as well. And we sometimes look in and say, wow, they do things weird. It's like, uh, no, it's, it's not wrong, it's different, it's a different perspective. And so uh, there's some really helpful things there uh, to learn from. And some really helpful tools there, Jen, just about how you've uh, made yourself available, sitting alone for a year watching baseball, and then year number two, they come around. That's helpful to hear. It takes a while. Um, really, really helpful. We're going to jump right now. We're going to show you a video. Uh, this is a conversation we had with a guy named Derek. We recorded last week. We called him up. Uh, church planter. Uh, John knows him well. I've gotten to know him a little bit. Uh, planting in Northern Ontario. He'll talk a little bit more about uh, what led him to do that, but he's going to give the last sharing of the evening, and then we'll throw it to the tables for you to discuss both what you heard from Jen and Derek, and that'll be our evening. So I'll direct you to the screen here. Hello, my name is Derek Parento. I'm a worker with Multiply, and I serve among First Nations people in Ontario, Canada. I've been journeying with the MB family for almost nine years now, my wife and I uh, began our journey uh, down in Toronto. We were working with human trafficking victims uh, on the streets in Toronto. Uh, during that time, my wife and I met uh, a lot of First Nations people. We weren't setting out to meet First Nations people, but we found about half of the women that we uh, interacted with uh, had come, uh, had, been, had been trapped in the sex trade. And uh, we were able to journey with them and learn a bit about their culture, uh, a bit about their story. Uh, and a bit about what 
journeying together in a good way might mean. It was a big time for us in our life because although we uh, had grown up in Canada, anything I knew about First Nations people had come from either the media or maybe a little bit uh, from school uh, at the high school age. So very, very minimal. Uh, as we started to interact with people, it just blew us away uh, the level uh, of suffering uh, and the amount of uh, historical oppression uh, that our friends had been through. We grappled with this from a Christian perspective as we hadn't heard much about it in the church. And again, the little that I did hear was very much out of a political framework uh, that we heard uh, in the media uh, or in school. And so we weren't really sure as Jesus followers how we were meant to interact with this. Uh, the basic storyline seemed to be that I was getting from the media was just leave this to the government and they'll take care of it. And uh, so we didn't know what it was to do, uh, what it meant to journey with people in a good way, what it meant to pursue reconciliation and why that might even be important to Jesus. As time went along, uh, our, the burden in our hearts grew and uh, we sensed the Lord call us uh, to serve full time uh, in First Nations communities. So we left the city and moved several hours north of Toronto uh, to start uh, interacting with some communities uh, in a good way. Uh, the beginning of the journey was difficult. Uh, I was used to Toronto and a very multicultural environment where things were very open. Uh, but we quickly found that uh, in a small or town context, interacting uh, where there was only First Nations people and kind of white Canadians as the only two major cultural groups there, people would barely even make eye contact. It was hard to even smile at people and have them notice that you were smiling because people's eyes just didn't even meet. Uh, but from that beginning, God was so faithful and so gracious as he led us along as we prayed for him to teach us uh, how to actually bring the good news of Jesus in an actual good way, where it be received uh, as something uh, of value and uh, as something that would bring transformation, that would be a message of hope, not a message of despair. Uh, and so we, we went along and the Lord opened up doors and from one community to the next and from one opportunity to the next, we uh, spent time with people. We were able to uh, walk th with people in their addictions. We were able to walk with people as they dealt with um, the foster care system uh, in many different ways uh, that we spent time with people. And we got to share the love of Jesus with people. And uh, that was a whole journey for us. As we uh, early on started to share the good news of Jesus, often the reaction was very negative. Uh, people uh, heard uh, when we spoke Jesus, people heard about church. Uh, they heard about colonization. They heard uh, many things that we weren't trying to say, but uh, we didn't realize how big of a story we were a part of. And when we just simply opened our mouths to say Jesus, people heard hate, anger, stealing, oppression, uh, breaking down of families, really the exact opposite things of what Jesus' name stood for. So that left us in this place of needing to wrestle uh, with God and ask the Holy Spirit to give us a better way to speak uh, his good news message because clearly uh, what people had heard uh, was not the good news, but it had all been done in Jesus name which left uh, for a lot of tragedy and a lot of heartache. Uh, we often thought of that scripture where Jesus talks about the little ones and says, uh, woe unto you who cause any of these little ones of mine to stumble. And that was just a reminder to us that uh, although we started with a, a blank page, uh, a fresh uh, beginning many hundreds of years ago, 
uh, much had been done uh, in a way that it caused a lot of hurt uh, and really decimated uh, a group of people. Uh, and, and now we were not at a fresh start. Uh, it was a very different place. Uh, sometimes uh, I would meet someone for the first time and feel like, well, this is supposed to be uh, a fresh start. You know, how can they hold me accountable or hold me responsible for all the things that were done long before I was ever born or things that are being done currently that I have nothing to do with? You know, I'm not the government. Uh, I'm not, say, the Catholic Church who ran res many of the residential schools. I'm not these people. So how am I ever supposed to have a relationship and there's all this baggage that I didn't even cause. And so I'd have to pray through all these different things. And it could be uh, quite frustrating at some times. But as we kind of move forward, uh, we just started to realize what incredibly important work this was for a whole variety of reasons. And realize how much we needed relationships with our First Nations friends so that I could walk in the fullness of what Jesus has called me to. I started to kind of learn as we went along that um, I wasn't walking a Jesus path if I wasn't walking a path that meant loving my neighbor. And if the love I showed my neighbor was interpreted as, as hate or anger or taking uh, in any way whatsoever, uh, then that wasn't really love. And so the challenge was upon us. And I realized that even though it seemed like fresh relationships to me, it was much more like um, re-engaging with someone after a relationship had gone bad. It's much like if uh, a husband and wife ended up in a violent or abusive relationship and the one, uh, ab the abusive partner left, and then they came back all of a sudden saying, hey, I'm changed. Take me back. It's a blank slate without showing that they'd done any work to actually change or had any accountability or gone through any counseling or healing or confession of the wrong they'd done, then it wouldn't really be safe for that person to enter back into that relationship. And as much as I didn't uh, understand at the time how much of that I carried, I realized that when I felt like I was meeting people for the first time, they felt like an abusive partner was coming home uh, and saying, hey, everything's fine. Let's just start fresh without having done any of the work uh, to make that relationship a good and healthy and God-honoring relationship. And so we kept journeying and kept learning, and God really started to challenge our hearts. We started to realize that it was so much bigger than we had thought. It wasn't just the accumulated hurt and brokenness. Uh, it was part of this big, big story of what God is doing here in this land. Of course, Canada, if you've drawn it on a map, it's had many uh, renditions of what that map would look like. It hasn't always been the lines that we have here, but it has always been God's land, that God created this land uh, and said that this land was good, uh, along with all that he created. It also says in Scripture that God set the boundaries of people and placed them where they are. And based on that Scripture, we know that first peoples were placed here first for a reason, uh, that there was an intentionality with God's plan uh, to bring his kingdom in fullness to this world that involved placing First Nations people here first. And it also involved placing everyone else here second. We're all second peoples, whether we're uh, immigrated here in our distant history or whether we're more uh, just newly Canadian, we're all second peoples. And we're second here for a reason as well. It's also part of God's story of what he wants to do in this land. As we kind of prayed into it, we realized that how could God's plan for renewal and salvation and healing and the coming of his kingdom in this land not heavily factor in the peoples he placed here first for a reason?
but I don't always understand or know what that plan is. And I don't need to, but I do know that I spent uh, much of my life in ministry, uh, part of churches who seem to just be moving around First Nations people, trying to not have to deal with what has happened, trying to move forward in a way that didn't acknowledge the most obvious neighbor we have as uh, second peoples in Canada, and just realize that could not be God's plan. Uh, it had to involve First Nations people in a very important way. We started to learn incredible things about how much uh, the God, the Creator, had blessed First Nations people with some really good teachings. And a lot of those good teachings that my First Nations friends walk in seem to just meet us where we're at, where we struggle with individualism. There's a strong sense of community and relationship. We struggle with materialism. There's a strong sense of generosity, so on and so forth. Where we struggle with secularism, there's a strong sense of spirituality in the spiritual realm. There's all these things uh, where we can come together in a good way to be a stronger church. One really big scripture for me is from the book of Ephesians chapter 2, uh, starting around verse 14. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law and its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who are near. Now all of us can come to the Father to the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. I used to put peacemaking and gospel proclamation in completely different categories. Uh, the way that I kind of thought about it, it was, you know, gospel proclamation first. And then sometimes if I had time, maybe do a little bit of peace work. But Jesus here shows that uh, there's a gospel of peace, that he is the Prince of Peace. And actually on the cross, it says in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility. That's a pretty big statement. It shows us that there's something about making peace that is inherent in the good news of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Now, that can be very difficult to wrap our minds around because so much uh, of what we see as peacemaking comes from a secular government perspective. We, we look to the government to, to do peace work for us and to tell us how we should do it and frame the whole thing for us. But we serve the Prince of Peace, the one who broke his body and died on the cross to take down the wall of hostility and make peace between peoples where there was no peace because we are all one under one Father because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so we don't need to look to others to understand how to uh, make peace. We need to look to God and we need to look to our neighbor uh, where there's a lack of peace and step into that. It's amazing how much Jesus uh, after the resurrection, speaks over his disciples that word, peace. It's part of a resurrection reality. It's part of the crucifixion reality. And it's definitely a part of the post-Pentecost reality. As we see under one spirit, people are united from every tribe and tongue and nation as the Holy Spirit draws all of us together into one body. For our First Nations brothers and sisters, uh, there has been um, that wall of hostility uh, does not appear to be gone. It is uh, defeated in Jesus, uh, which is the good news that it's gone. 
but as we walk it out as the church, uh, we haven't allowed the gospel to infiltrate uh, that aspect of our relationships with First Nations people very well. I believe with all my heart that the only way forward to true peace and true reconciliation is through Jesus. The pain is too deep. Uh, the hurt is too vast for any human scheme to bring peace there. We need to all turn to Jesus, the Prince of Peace, uh, to see that wall of hostility broken down. We know it's already been paid for on the cross, and we look forward to seeing that lived out today. And so I would just encourage you, brothers and sisters, where you are, to build relationships with your First Nations neighbors. They are the definition of neighbor. Uh, They're right here, sister nations, right on this own piece of land. I'd encourage you to reach out. I'd encourage you to love people, to listen to people, to humble yourself and come in and serve. And I would encourage you to share the good news of Jesus in a good way. Not a message that just says you need to change everything about yourself and come to church. A message of true good news of what Jesus accomplished at the cross, that Jesus is present and has a plan for First Nations people, a good plan that involves healing and restoration and peace. I would be praying for you, praying for your community. I know you've had a good day today listening to some great speakers. Uh, my prayer for you is this Ephesians 2 message, uh, that you will be able to experience the power of the good news, uh, that that wall of hostility that has separated us as the church and First Nations people will be broken down uh, in what Jesus did on the cross. We would see the healing of the land, the healing of the people, and a revival in our churches as we walk fully in the Jesus way in that gospel of peace. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters. I think that was just a really great addition to uh, the things that have already been said this evening and, and rounds it out and gives us a lot of helpful information to think about. Um, and so I'm thankful for each one. John, Jen, Derek, thank you very much. Uh, Derek stared at himself on a computer screen and felt really weird about it the whole time and sat and talked and shared that. And so we're really, really grateful to him for, uh, for adding uh, so richly to the conversation and, and doing that for us. It was really great. Um, this evening w- was not meant to be some grand answer and solution but merely a drop in the bucket. A couple years ago, we did a blanket exercise evening, and our Lake Iraq base team, before they launched, did a little bit of training, a little bit of learning. Um, We're having this evening, and we just think this is really ongoing. There's more to learn, more to discover, but we're really thankful that you all came this evening, um, did some work, uh, did some listening tonight, sharing around the table. So I'm going to turn it back to you in uh, just a moment to... to, uh, Talk one more time about some of the things that you heard. If you have to slip out at any time, feel free. Uh, The countdown clock will be going, and when it's done, feel free to hang out a bit if you want, and then to head out. So let me pray for us, and then I'll uh, get you back talking in your tables one more time. Jesus, I thank you so much for this evening. Uh, I thank you for the stories we were able to hear, and their stories from lived experience, and and that is so helpful. God, I pray that uh, we would all walk out of here this evening um, having thought more deeply and, uh, and learned something important, um, whatever that might be for each of us. Lord, I pray uh, that there would be learning, that there would be humility, 
and that there would be a, a missional mindset in us to, uh, to apply this in love um, to the neighbors we have around us. God, we ask for your grace in that, and we ask for truth, and we ask for reconciliation to happen across our nation. In Jesus' name, amen.